Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. Hey, happy Friday. Mike Spaulding is here this afternoon. He is in for Sandy Max. Greg Matzik is here. Debbie Lazic is here. Adam Roberts is producing the show this afternoon. What are we tracking today? This Number- is the three. At 3 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Sorry for stepping on your hard work there, Adam. Number 1, John, we're learning more about this train derailment that happened near the southwestern Wisconsin community of Ferryville. That's right. A couple of cars end up in the Mississippi River. A lot of them end up on the land, off the tracks there. A couple of people taken to the hospital. Sounds like they're going to survive. I think the most interesting little nugget is that those that crashed contained lithium-ion batteries, by and large. And we were being told forever it was paint. It ends up that was actually coffee creamer. Certainly tastier. Yeah. So a bunch of coffee creamer got dumped in the Mississippi River. All we need is a Dunkin' Donuts car to crash, and we'll be all set. Maybe that's what the governor is doing. He was out there this <laughs> afternoon. He actually praised those who live in the area for handling the situation the right way. They live here. They've got jobs. They're doing, you know, they're going about their regular life. But they've also been trained to take care of things like this, and that's exactly what happened. The cause of the crash has not yet been determined. All right, what's next? A Phoenix Mercury star Brittany Griner is back in the news in front of reporters, actually. She spoke at a press conference yesterday. Griner saying she doesn't plan on ever traveling overseas again after she was arrested in Russia last year. Griner said a large reason that WNBA athletes even go overseas is due to the lack of pay. As much as I would love to you know, pay my light bill for the love of the game, <laughs> I can't, you know, that's probably one of the biggest reasons people are are still going overseas. And that's why I was there, you know. How about this? You can continue to travel. Just don't bring illegal drugs with you when you're trying to get into an airport in a foreign country. Just a little detail. But I mean, this isn't about you not being able to travel. It's about what was in your carry on bag. Is it really the issue of where I was going or what I was carrying? Okay, that's enough of that. What's next? Uh, one more uh, response to Giannis. His comments after the Bucks' loss earlier this week to the Miami Heat. Uh, transcending sports, I guess you could say. Also transcending throughout the sports world. This is reaction to Eric Names' post-game question this week regarding failure. I issued some comment from Brewers manager Craig Council, who had had some thoughts on the subject. He told Wisconsin's Morning News. I think Giannis summed it up so, so well. And um, it, it's, it's the perspective that you need to have and you earn because of how you do your job every day and and when you do your job like that that's the perspective you get very thoughtful comments from uh, manager council he joins wisconsin's morning news each and every week here on wtmj it is 314 up next our friend joel brennan on wisconsin shared revenue and the big proposal announced tomorrow what it would mean for milwaukeeans and those that live work and play in the area that's straight ahead on wtmj The president has joined us live in the studio. He is Joel Brennan, the president of the Greater Milwaukee Committee. Welcome, Mr. President. Thank you for that theme music. My walk-up music was great today. <laughs> I'm glad you uh, you could come in and spend some time with us because you love this city. You're familiar with it. You've had a large role in state government as the secretary of the DOA. This announcement yesterday about the framework for shared revenue, if this comes to pass, give us some 
context. How important is this for Milwaukee and Milwaukee County? Well, it's hugely important for the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County, but it, the, the great thing about it is it's valuable for local units of government all around the state. There's 1,800 of them. But for, for Milwaukee, you know, John, I, I've been here in the current job for about a year, and since I've been on the ground here, I've had a front row seat to just how challenging the fiscal picture is in the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County. Like, you know, we always... We know we operate in this place of scarcity, but things are about to get appreciably worse without action. Like, you know, there was an article earlier this week that talked about a up to a 25% cut in the police yeah. force, in libraries, in fire. That's what we'd be looking at without any action. And, and the good thing about what's happened now is instead of focusing on who's to blame for the situation now, and, and I think there's lots of parties that accept or should have some responsibility for it, it's, okay, here's where we are. What are we going to do about it? And that's the spirit that the legislature has brought to this, the mayor, the county executive, the, the coalition that's been part of this. So that's what makes this kind of, uh, it, it sets the table for an unprecedented cooperation between the, the largest city and the largest county in the state and the state legislature, stuff that hasn't happened in a generation. There will be strings attached to some of this. I don't even know if I like that term, but there are conditions for some of this money. The money cannot go to things like the streetcar or bus rapid transit. Uh, police force numbers will have to stay at a certain level. Do you like the idea that there are parameters and conditions attached to the money? You know, I, I guess I always like the idea of local control, as much local uh, ability to, to uh, control those things as you can. We haven't seen the draft of even a bill here. What was talked about yesterday was the framework from the assembly side. The Senate still has to weigh in. The governor plays a role in this. So, you know, I think Speaker Voss said yesterday, you know, when you get to something like this that's somewhat uh, groundbreaking, there are going to be things in it that, that some people are not going to like, probably something that everybody in it, can can find that they dislike but in some ways that's the legislative process that's probably what we've had a little bit uh, less of than we should have in the state of wisconsin is doing things that ultimately there's good but everybody has to give somewhere but uh, you know there are clearly going to be some if, if there are things that that limit uh what people locally can do that's not something that that i would embrace but the the biggest thing and the the challenge that we have now in Milwaukee is so great and and what could happen within the next year or two in terms of dramatic cuts in services you know if there are things that are trade offs for that i think that's stuff that has to be looked at you know joel prior to your role now you you did spend some time in madison with with governor evers having seen this issue from both sides now and and having heard from the calls or heard the calls while you were with the governor and now where you're probably the one making the calls about some of our situations uh, how surprised were you that this came about i think for me it, it kind of caught me by surprise that all of a sudden it was robin voss saying hey today we're going to make this major announcement for something that i feel like lawmakers have been clamoring for for a long time yeah and, and i think the the value or, or what's different about right now is that Local governments around the state, all of them are strapped. You know, there are, uh, there was at the press conference yesterday, there were local elected officials from Kenosha County or Racine County talking about how, you know, they, they don't have any EMT people to do things anymore. There are places all over the state where, you know, they have volunteer firefighters or they have small fire uh, departments. They're not at a point now where because of their strapped locally, they can't, if there's two fires that break out in the same small community, they are going to have to choose which one. So 
the scale of things on Milwaukee may be different. The, the way that we're going to try to fix some of the challenges here may be different. But there are people all around the state. And I think that's one thing that has changed is that local elected officials kind of have found some more of their voice and articulated that voice and, and organized in a way that the legislature has to pay attention. And, and I, the other thing, and I, I can't say this enough, is it, it hasn't been about who's to blame. You know, who do we... Uh, who do we hold responsible for this? It's okay. This, this is the situation we live in here and, and now. What are we going to do about it? And that's constructive. That's where government can actually play a constructive role when you're about solutions as opposed to who's to blame. Joel Brennan is with us. He's the president of the Greater Milwaukee Committee. Leaders are now beginning to come forward and say they don't want this to go to referendum. They would like local leaders to be able to decide whether they want to do this. It surprised me. Tim Sheehy came forward and in a strongly worded statement said, it's too confusing if you put it to a question on a referendum. It won't be clean. People won't understand it. What's your view on whether or not this should go to referendum or leaders like David Crawley and Cavalier Johnson should be able to make the decision? Well, I'm, I'm part of that same coalition, and, and we've been fighting from the beginning for this to be a thoughtful, for there to be thoughtful consideration of this. There are duly elected officials at the city level, at the county level, uh, the county executive, the mayor have the, the, you know, they are accountable to, uh, to their voters. And I think it would be a far more efficient way and I think an effective way to do this. The other thing I'd say is, you know, for about 50 years, uh, counties have had the opportunity, the ability to raise the sales tax by a, a one half of one cent. And 68 out of 72 counties have done that. In every one of those cases, they may have, uh, an advisory referendum in communities to do that. But in every one of those cases, the local elected body has done it, you know, with the county executive or the county administrator. And so there's precedent for doing it in that way. I think there should be thoughtful consideration, debate, discussion. But I'd be for, and I think the, the whole coalition and, and lots of people in this community would be for being able to do it as quickly and efficiently as possible, which means those legislative bodies taking action and then the mayor, the county executive authorizing that action. I half agree with you. I, I think in Milwaukee County, where it's less than a half percent, go ahead and do it. But I think if you're going to raise it 2%, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around why would we not be as inclusive as possible. It's almost like we're trading efficiency for inclusivity. We want to do it fast, and I understand. I understand. It's a dire situation. But 2% to not let the people weigh in, I really haven't heard a good argument why. Why, why should we do that? Well, I, yeah, I, I, the only arguments I'd make are the same ones that people are making now on uh, making sure that, that this could, that the discussion should be as crisp and clean as possible in a referendum. And I, th- I agree with Tim that this can, you know, when you're talking pensions and public safety, there can be confusion around that. But ultimately, you know, you hold people accountable at the ballot box and the mayor stands for election. And I think the county executive either next spring or the spring after that. And so, you know, they people have the opportunity to weigh in on that. Um, but I, I also I can't underscore enough. And, and frankly, what we would have to do is make sure that we're convincing people in the city of this in a referendum. But. I don't think this is, uh, I feel a little bit like since I've been in my current job, I've been walking around saying the sky is falling, but I truly believe the sky is falling. And, and I think there's demonstrations of, uh, you know, the, the kinds of cuts to services that would take place that we need to do whatever is possible to, to get this done uh, as quickly as possible, too. This is a big deal. There's no doubt about that. And it's good news for the state, for the individual municipalities and the counties. Joel Brennan is the president of the Greater Milwaukee Committee, El Presidente. You guys are bilingual over there, right? Absolutely. El Presidente. 
of the Greater Milwaukee Committee. Joel, it's always good to have you here. Thank you so much for making some time for us. Thanks, John. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. Hope your Friday's going absolutely great. The most popular baby names in Wisconsin for this year. The 10 most popular baby names in Wisconsin. All right. Should we first discuss boys or girls? (laughs) Let's go girls. Yeah. Let's go girls. The 10 most popular baby names in Wisconsin. All right. What do you got? What do you think's on the list? So I, I love doing this. I, I feel like I was more in tune with it a few years ago yep. when we were having to make this decision. And uh, Emily and I decided to go the gender neutral route with both of our daughters, Riley and Kendall, two names that we love. And so Did you do that said, on purpose? Did you decide we're going to go gender neutral? Is that what you did? Uh, it, it, just names that we really liked. And okay. we went back and forth, and we had a fun exercise. We built like an NCAA tournament grid with all these names on it and made people <laughs> guess what our final selection was going to be. That's so massive. So I in, love that. In our final four, we had, for my first daughter, Riley. We had Harper. We had AJ. And we had Ava. Those were the four names, I believe, that made it to our final four. And I don't know what AJ stands for yet. I just liked AJ. (laughs) But it didn't make the cut, so we went with Riley. But I remember also, Olivia was a name on that list. I want to say Harper is probably still very popular. Ava, I'm not sure if that still is. I know a couple of Avas. I'm thinking about my daughters in school right now. I know a lot of Noras. You're you're listing off a lot of the names on the list. And it seems like every every third child at my daughter's school is named Grace. So I'm going to start with that. Okay. Um... There is no grace, but you nailed a lot of the other ones. You got a couple guesses? Yeah, I'm going to go, is there an Ella, L-E, something like that? No, no Ella. I'm going to go... There's an Eleanor. Oh, Eleanor was going to be my next one. I'm going classic. A lot of people I know that are are having babies now. It's like the the classic names, like our grandmothers, our grandparents' names have really come back. His name is is Eleanor. Okay, so interesting enough, before I let you continue, Spalding, Eleanor is one of the most popular girls' names in Wisconsin. It's number six, Hmm. but it's not in the top ten nationally. So we like Eleanor in Wisconsin. Hmm. We're we're just classic Midwest. What can I say? Uh, I'm going to go Amanda. A few years ago, I felt like Amanda's right. No, I, well, I, we, we went like esoteric a little bit with like nice sounding names. I'm like, well, there's got to be basics, like a Janie. So here they are. Oh, Wisconsin. I might also put a vote in for Madison or Maddie. Oh, that's a good Ooh, guess, a but good not one. on the list. Okay. That is a good guess, though. Here they are quickly from 10 to 1. 10th most popular, Harper, Sophia, Ava, Nora, Eleanor. The fifth most popular is Emma. Fourth is Evelyn. Third is Amelia. Number two is Olivia. There you go. Yep. And the most popular name in Wisconsin is Charlotte. 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 Really? I told you yeah. the classic huh. names. All right, I bet quickly. in North Carolina, it's Madison. Boys' names. You guys got boys' names guesses? Uh, we've got, I'm trying to think of my neighborhood. So we've got a Henry. We've got a Jack. I think we have a couple of different Jacks. Uh, That's interesting. That's in, Both those are older traditional know, names. But to Spalding's point, like Hazel is back as a popular yeah. name for girls. Henry and Jack, by the way, are both on the list. Okay. Uh, there's a, Olivia with girls. I'm going to say Oliver with boys. Ding, 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 ding. Oliver. Uh, we also have a Teddy in our neighborhood. In fact, he's Henry's brother. Love that. Okay. I wonder if his real name's Theodore. Theodore's on the list. Could be. Uh, and I'll say Owen. No Owen, but my gosh, the first four you named are at the top of the list. Wow. Okay. Uh, Michael? Nope. Jonathan? Nope. Gregory? Nope. Adam? <laughs> Greg, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> well, we let Greg go first. It's kind of unfair, because <laughs> you would have picked some of those same ones, probably. 
Uh, all right, very good. So here's the top ten for boys in Wisconsin. Number ten is Leo, followed by mm. Hudson. Isn't that a suburb of the Twin Cities? It is. Number eight oh, is sorry. William. So along the lines of what you were thinking, very traditional. Number seven is Noah. Six is Jack. Five is Levi. Four is Liam. And here are the top three. Number three is Henry. Number two is Theodore. Number one is Oliver. So Oliver and Olivia, both near the top of the list. I'm just kind of going by our subdivision, right? And it's, yeah, it, very but, but those kids are, you know, anywhere from six older. to eight years old. So they're hanging on. A lot of traditional names, though, in the past decade have really come back. More names that had gone away and been replaced by Chad. Okay, not a lot of Chad. Probably not a lot of, like, <laughs> Eric's. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Not a lot yeah. of Gary's anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well, Gary, it's more like for Theodore, Oliver, Henry, William, Strong Jack. names. Yeah. Strong names. Yeah. Very traditional. It is 344 at WTMJ. All right, so we've talked a lot about the loss of the blue check mark on Twitter and what it means for government agencies is what we're discussing this afternoon that keep us safe. There's more to this than just, I don't want to be prestigious. I don't need the blue check mark. There is more to it than that. ABC's Andy Field joins us from Washington with what the ramifications are for some governmental agencies and law enforcement bodies. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon. Actually, the ramifications are for all of us. Uh, for example, Elon Musk, who owns Twitter now, eliminating the verified check marks resulted in at least 11 new accounts impersonating the Los Angeles Police Department. That's not a good thing when there's an emergency and you go on Twitter and uh, you see a whole bunch of blue check marks against the various L.A. Police Department Twitter handles. And they're saying, avoid this, don't do this. It, it's, it is really a recipe for disaster and actually for danger for a lot of folks. Uh, it's happened in uh, the traffic departments and the federal government, in companies. Eli Lilly, at the beginning of this whole blue check mark debacle, uh, had companies impersonating them saying they were giving out free insulin. Uh, so, you know, it's a disaster for companies, it's a disaster for uh, public safety. And Certainly, it has led to the uh, conclusion that there is little or nothing you can trust on Twitter anymore. Which, Andy, I would think would start to kind of, is the public's trust, I guess, in the platform begins to erode. I would think maybe public interest is also going to start erode, which if I'm one of these agencies and official organizations might have me rethinking whether or not I want to be on it at all and what's the best way then to convey our message if there is going to be an emergency or if there is some sort of tragic situation playing out well that is the case already you you saw that um elon musk had labeled npr uh national public radio as state-sponsored media when in fact that's not true they get i think less than two or three percent of the money from the federal government the rest of it comes from various sponsors and and uh, individual donors uh whereas uh, things that are really state-sponsored media uh, Russian uh, television, Russian radio, Russian uh, Twitter feeds, uh, totalitarian governments, uh, they weren't getting those labels. And in fact, now Elon Musk has gone in the other direction, said, okay, I'm going to remove all those labels. So things like Russia Today, which is really a propaganda arm of the Russian government, but it comes across as kind of a uh, credible news organization here in the United States on some cable systems, it no longer is listed as basically propaganda for the Russian government. So you as a consumer of news has no idea 
whether you can trust these operations or not for real news and whether they're giving you the truth about what's happening online. You know, to your point, Andy, so I had a blue check mark. I was verified. I think it can be valuable. It's about credibility. It's about knowing what you're looking at. But with that said, I'm not going to pay for it. I, I, I don't like the model. I don't know how the model will work. And that's becoming problematic for lots of different people and organizations, including news gathering organizations. Well, the sad part is, is that the blue check mark no longer represents that you are who you are. All it represents is you have eight bucks in your pocket every month and you want to hand it over to Elon Musk uh, because that's the only requisite you need to get a blue check mark. ABC's Andy Field, an interesting story. Andy, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks. I'm a guy that's had a hard time wrapping my head around chat GPT. So basically, it's artificial intelligence that you can use that allows a robot to take your language and turn it into an answer or content or to translate what you want to say. And am I, am I even doing a halfway decent job explaining no, this? No, I'd say no, not, not so much. Help me, please. <laughs> Would you help me? Uh, you're on the right path. So chat GPT is artificial intelligence, okay? And this is a thing. Whether we want it to be or not, it is a thing. So yep. chat GPT, in a work sense, could, for example, write you a job description. Right, you go into the chat GPT thing on the computer and say, I need a job description for an executive director of fill in the blank or something, whatever it is, and it spits out a job description for you. You might have to tweak a couple things, put it in your own company's language, but it's going to do a good job. It'll write a cover letter for you. It'll summarize content. It can build your resume for you. You can write an essay. You can create an app. You can do Excel formulas. You can do anything with chat GPT. It, it, not every sense works beautifully and perfectly, but the Technology is developing rapidly. It can help students cheat on a test. Well, yes and no. It can write a paper for you. Right. No doubt about that. Essay. Yeah. And I, your professors are going to be trained with how to spot this kind of thing, right? Because you could do it and just it, it spits something out for you. And it's, it's pretty good. So when it comes to, you know, assessing a candidate's skills for the workforce, you used to put on that you're proficient in Microsoft Word and on Excel and you could type how many words per minute. Now, on your resume, you need to include if you're proficient in chat GPT. Hmm. So 91% of employers are looking for this skill 90 plus? on resumes. So wow. uh, there's a survey that just went out, and 1,000 C-level or executive director level positions uh, were surveyed asking just how important is this to you? How important is chat GPT? And 91% said yes, they, they were openly embracing it, and we'd like to see that on a candidate's resume. So my wife works in HR, and it, it's it's complicated in that it could replace a portion of the workforce, yeah. right, if, if you really get down to it. Sure. Or it can just enhance a worker's performance and make them more efficient, right? It, it, it might take somebody a half a day, maybe three, four hours to pound out a really good job description. I don't know. But this can do it in a matter of a couple of minutes. And then you just need to tweak it. And it's it. doing it while you're working on another task. So... It, it's a thing that, it, it, not only is it here, but it's only becoming more improved. But I do sort of worry about this level of technology and, and what it could do to the workforce. Is it a detriment to the workforce, or does it make things more efficient? Yeah. And the answer could be yes to both. I hear that, but we've gone through this with other things, too. When Excel came out, all the people that wrote the columns and did the spreadsheets and all that thought they were going to lose their jobs and instead, I mean, there was probably job loss, but it made the workplace more efficient. And you still need people to enter the data. You still need people to monitor it. And if it costs jobs, then it costs jobs. 
we're a capitalist society where companies need to make money as be as efficient as they can. Yeah, and we use it here. So like we're in the creative field and uh Pancake and I are the ones that put the top of the hour like IDs when it previews tonight the Brewers are playing the whomever. We put those things together and we like to be cheeky and funny about them. If we're running out of ideas or we just don't know what to do and it's a midweek Brewers versus Tigers series, we'll plug some stuff into chat GPT just with the teams and a little info, yep. and we'll see what it pops out. We essentially use it here as like a way to brainstorm ideas because it'll give you a ton of bad ideas, but it'll kind of get your brain flowing and brain mm. working a little bit. So in that instance, we do use it a little bit in our favor to just throw out some ideas and see if anything you know gets your, your brain going. It's not a perfect science, right? No, just no. I was messing around with it. I had an app downloaded on my phone, and the Brewers had played that night, and I said you know, to Jet GPT, write me a game story, Brewers versus Padres, and I plugged in the date. And it plugged in some information from an old Brewers-Padres game where it said Keston here had two hits and drove in three runs. Go well, he's not even on the team, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it's not perfect by any stretch yeah. of the imagination, but it's only getting better which I think is, is very interesting to follow. So if you don't know ChatGPT, learn more about it it's because it's a thing. There's no doubt about that. It is for sure.